Welcome back to the After Maghrib podcast, dear brothers and sisters, wherever you're watching or listening from around the world. If you're here for the first time, make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're hearing us from. If you've been tuning in, you'll know that we've been talking about Karbala, Imam Hussein, Ashura, and talking about the historics and how it applies to us contemporarily today. And today we're going to do the same sort of thing. We are going to talk about Imam Zain al-Abideen, our fourth Imam. Is he underappreciated? Is he undervalued? And what lessons can we take away from him? Especially when we talk about recent news, current affairs, such as the burning of the Quran, and of course, a lot of the pressure that faced Muslims in the East as well as the West. And as always, I'm joined by my very eloquent and my respected brother, Sayyid Ali Radawi. Assalamu alaikum, Sayyidina. How are you keeping? Alhamdulillah, keeping well. Uh, yourself? I'm okay, bro. Um, Alhamdulillah, yeah, it's, it's now we're recording 10 days after Ashura. Mm. So um, it's like a it's, a, it's an odd phase in a way because it feels like Ashura feels like a while ago. And it's only been 10 days. So as if we've reached the peak, yeah. but the morning still continues. It does, it yeah. does. And we have to remember not mm. to let it slip. So mm. we still wear black, we still attend majalis, we still observe the practices and rituals. We still cry when we hear Imam Hussein's name and we hear the tragedies of Karbala and what happened after as well. And in these days is where we mourn the post-Ashura period. So we, we cannot let it slip. Very, we, very important. We can't. And you know, we're leading up to the Shahada. Imam Ali ibn al-Hussain, Imam Sajjad Zain al-Abdeen And I think, you know, you've asked the question, do we like underrate him? You know, do we, do we like forget his life? Do we, not, do we neglect what he stood for and everything? And I think we do. Mm-hmm. If I'm honest, I think we, 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 do, we do that very much. I don't know if it's because Ashura takes over his life. Yeah. Because normally we mention Imam Sajjad only when it comes to, for example, his journey towards Sham. Mm-hmm. There's lots of things happen before Sham and after Sham. Mm-hmm. And I think we know, I think let's start here. The question is, for example, on the day of Ashura, on the 10th of Muharram, there are those that claim, for example, Imam Zain al Abidin did not stand with his father. Mm. He failed to join his father in jihad. There is that, you know, argument some yep. people use. That's what actually happened. So Imam Zain al-Abidin was not ill when he came to Karbala. Mm. When he arrived in Karbala, he fell ill. And narrations and history say that he had a stomach bug okay. to the point where he couldn't stand up. But sometimes we hear in lectures and we hear in Musibah mm. that the Imam was frail and in, in, it makes it sound like he, astaghfirullah, but like he's an old man and he's incapable and he was weak. But the reality is such where the Imam showed incredible physical strength and mental strength. Mm. The physical strength to firstly bear what he bore in the sense of being thirst depri- uh, water deprived yep. being in the heat of karbala being without access to uh, facilities and and what he needs to recover clearly no access to doctors and medicine and all of that at the same time the mental pressure seeing his beloved father his beloved family his companions all massacred in front of him seeing his women folk the children all uh, completely harassed and abused in front of his own eyes and on top of that being the only male to survive the onslaught of karbala to continue his journey on foot, of course, with the, with the pressures that he faced, and we're going to talk about that, I'm sure. 
And then obviously to go through what he went through to make sure Islam survived, to make mm. sure Karabala was not forgotten. And then of course to live for decades afterwards as well. So it just blows my mind because I feel like sometimes we, we when we talk about Imam Sajjad, we say, oh, he was ill and Karabala, what could he do? This was Allah's will. Yeah. Like Allah knew that there has to be hujjah mm. on earth. There has to be a, a sign of Allah on earth. And when does we know obviously in, in uh, on the day of Ashura, he told one of the companions, pass me my stick and my sword. I'm going to stand up. He stood up. Imam Hussain said, sit down. He said, there cannot be, the earth cannot be, the earth would swallow itself if there was no hujjah after me and you were to take your life. So, or give your life rather. Yeah, no, you mentioned a very nice point. You said his mental state. Yeah. And uh, not to belittle his mental state. I'm sure he has the best of states of mind. The best. It is not easy to, as you said, you know, there's a state of thirst. There's, you know, seeing the enemy coming and taking away the family of Rasulullah, you know, ultimately killing them, giving them shahada. And then at the same time, there's women and children. Yeah. And he, it's not easy for anyone, let alone the son of Imam Hussein, to see his father in such a position and being so weak due to his illness. Look, we're not talking about spiritual weakness, physical weakness. We're talking about not being able to stand up mm. and join his father in jihad. And that's not something easy for the Imam. But as you said, Allah is the best of planners. Mm. And it's very true because if we actually look into this properly, thinking now, had Imam Zain al-Abidin joined his father, mm -hmm. fought alongside the companions and his family in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the 10th of Muharram, on the day of Ashura, there will be no hujjah today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So surely the, there was a great plan. Allah is the best of planners because had Imam Hussein allowed his son, because I heard, Actually, I've read Imam Zain Abidin did want to fight. Yep. Imam Hussein told him, no, yep. you cannot, you know, you cannot leave the tent and go out because you need to remain alive. And that's when I believe is he passed on the Imamate, letting him know, for example, you know, you are to continue this path. And you mentioned that, that, that point where he said, get me a stick and get me a sword. The stick for him for the strength to stand up yep. and the sword for him to fight in the way of Allah subhanahu mm -hmm. wa ta'ala. But ultimately, had it, had it not been for that decision, yeah, Imam Hussein telling him, no, you cannot come onto the battlefield. Mm. There will be no Imam al-Baqir. Yeah. There will be no Imam al-Sadiq. There will be no Imam al-Rada. There will be no Sahib al-Asri zaman The line will end. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he knew then and there that I believe, I personally believe that that sickness or that illness, or yeah. some say it was an injury he was recovering from, I'm not entirely sure to be honest. It's something from Allah's plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say the Zainab say, Mara Jamila. Maybe, maybe there's, you know, when the more you learn about Karbala, the more mm. beauty you find in it. And when you first hear that hadith from Bibi Zainab, alayhi salam, where she says, I saw nothing but beauty, originally you're like, what, what, how does that make sense? But the more you think about it, and the year on year on year, we attend Majalis, we are stuck to understand. And subhanAllah, you've just like opened that gateway for me to think of another perspective that mm. maybe, maybe that was something she saw. Maybe she saw that Allah's divine plan. In allowing Imam Sajjad to remain protected meant that the mission would continue until the end of time. Well, because had he been killed, yeah, or had he been martyred, we wouldn't be here. We would have the Islam of Yazid and Muawiyah. Yes, we would. We yeah, wouldn't have we, the Islam we, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have of Rasulullah Muhammad sallallahu when, when, when in the court of Yazid, when Imam Sajjad, of course, gave that eloquent speech, and we'll talk about um, what happened after Ashura. There's some really, mm. really important things to talk about. But he says, if I'm not mistaken, we have been gifted six, and we have. Uh, well, we possess six qualities, and, and we've been gifted seven, seven in terms of the uh, the Ahlul Bayt And one of the which the seventh that he mentions is the Mahdi. He talks about. He says, 
we have Hassan and Hussein and Hamza and um, Hamad and Fatima and Ali and Mahdi. If I'm not mistaken, the seven. Uh, that is so important. Imam Sajjad at that time, 61 AH, mentioned Imam al-Mahdi. And here we are in the year 1444 or five, if I'm not mistaken. Like 1445 1445 yeah new year yeah new year so because of that you know and him him prophesizing foretelling that is so important i just want to bring our attention to to yasser of course that everyone at home knows yasser who is with us behind the scenes today assalamu alaikum yasser think that's done it's finished mm, what are your thoughts on this um so basically what i think about is just that some people sometimes say that you know imam zain abidin didn't achieve martyrdom on the day of ashura so maybe his rank or his importance drops that's why we don't remember him but do you dare to say the same for like example say the zainab or say the ruqayya or sukayna or, or Ramla or the wives of us uh, of Imam Hussein because Imam Al-Mahdi even says that what I think about the most uh, after our Ashura is Sham mm-hmm. and Zain, uh, Imam Zain Abidin they asked him why do you cry what happened like is it because of Ashura he says Sham 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 that what happened in Sham, what happened in Syria, on the way to Syria, I'll never forget yeah. that that we remember the Masaib where blood was dropping down from his neck, neck, his arms, yeah. Sayyidah Ruqayya having chains around her neck, Sayyidah Zainab getting whipped, her, her hijab t- getting taken away from her. These things isn't simple, yeah. especially for Imam Zain Abidin being the man, the leader now, of these women, yeah. of of these followers, of his family, having to live through this and and see it and knowing that he can't do anything about it. Yeah, yeah. And we, bro, you think about it when we talk about Sayyidah Zainab, alayha, and they, when you said Asham, 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 why was Sham so difficult? Obviously, the journey from Karbala after that and the mental state, the mental perseverance Imam had to have from there to then walk towards Sham. And Sayyidah Zainab says, if I'm not mistaken, Suq al-Hamadiyya, if I'm not mistaken, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. is, is now in Sham. Suq al-Hamadiyya. And if, for those who have been, will know, obviously, very tall buildings. Sayyidah Zainab says, I saw them pour boiling water, water. Yeah. from the windows onto the face of my nephew. La ilaha illallah. And Imam Sajjad, alayhi salam, in that suq, he saw, who was it? Um, Sahil ibn Sa'd al-Sa'idi, companion of Rasulullah. And he saw him, and he said, come here, Sahil. He came, he said, yeah, you have no what happened, you know, what's, what, he says, go, go over there and get that cloth for me. Mm. He goes, he brings the cloth, he says, I, I thought he's going to cover his body. He said, no, I need this cloth because from Karbala, I've had this chain around my neck with spikes. And I need to, something to Wait, protect Wait, between neck. the chain and the neck. Yeah. Yeah. Bro, after all of that, you think about it. Allah, yeah. When mm. he went to the court of Yazid, Yazid is there, Antullah and he's playing with the head of the holy imam, Imam Hussein, with a stick. A stick on, yep. Okay. And then he starts mocking the imam. Imam Sajjad alayhi salam stands up. At that point, he tells Sayyidah Zainab, take a, take a sit that, seat down. I'm going to say something. Mm. He starts speaking. He says, and I'm paraphrasing because the sermon is very long. And those who have read it or heard it is it's incredible. I am the son of the one who visited Sidratul Muntaha. I'm the son of Rasulullah. I'm the son of Sayyidatul Nisa'il Alameen. I am the son who is the annihilator of the idols. I am the son of Sayyidah Shabab Ahl Jannah. I am Zain al-Abideen, the, the son of the one who is slain on Karbala. Karbala. And then, what does he do? Yazid says, stop this man. I don't want to hear anymore. 
Start the Avan. And the Mu'addan starts, Allahu Akbar. Ashadu la ilaha illallah, ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. At that point, what happens? Imam Sajjad stands up. He says, you're saying ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. He says, whose grandfather is Rasulullah? Mine or yours? Mm. Because if you say he's yours, you're a liar. But if you say he's mine, yeah. then why did you kill his family? And at that point, there was pin drop silence. If he didn't do that, then the people in Sham would be would not would not have had the, the knowledge. You know, there's so many hadith and stories about people who would come and they'd say to the Imam, curse be on you, you rebels. He'll say, Do you know who I am? Do you know which and he started naming multiple ayahs of the Quran? He said, Do you know who these refer to about? Yeah. They say, Yeah, Allah Muhammad. He says, I am Allah. We are Allah Muhammad. Yeah, you yeah. know, if these if the Imam didn't do that propagation, we wouldn't be where we are. Oh, and for the Imam to give that sermon, by the way, if I if I remember it well, was that you know, as they approach the, the court of Yazid, um, you know, people were now questioning who are these people. And then there was a thing where people saying these are rebels who, you know, yeah. stood against the Khilafah of Yazid ibn Mawiyah. And then well, and then and then the Imam will give the examples that you gave. For example, have you heard of this verse? Have you heard of that verse? And he will say these verses refer to us. And people were shocked. Is it true, Yazid? Like these are the family of Rasulullah, you've done that you've done so and so. So Yazid at that point. He was like, you know what, the tables are turning a little. Yeah. Let's uh, let's bring someone to speak good of me and my father, Mawiyah. So I I think very famously they made like a makeshift pulpit over there. Yes. And he called one of his one of his men to come and speak good of Yazid and good of Mawiyah and good of the generation of Abu Sufyan. And which they done so. And then that's when Imam Zain Abin stood up and said, Wow be upon upon you. You know, if you allow me to talk, let me say something. And Yazid was like, no way. Mm-hmm. And then the people there was like, you know, if 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 you are saying no, why are you scared? Yeah, we've got nothing to hide. Why you let should. the man talk? Yeah. So eventually, Yazid had to, you know, agree to this and let the man talk. And that's when he went on and gave a sermon. And I've paraphrased you paraphrased a bit, and I've and I've got some a bit here if I can mm-hmm. share it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, where the Imam goes, Bismillah, Rahman, Rahim. Praise be to Allah, who has no beginning and the everlasting, who has no end. Paraphrasing again, continues on to say, Oh people, we have been bestowed six qualities mm-hmm. and seven merits by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, knowledge, forbearance, eloquence, valor, etc. Then he goes to say, Those who know me, know me, and those who don't know me mm-hmm. get to know me through my ancestry. I am the son of Mecca and Mina, I am the son of Zamzam and Safa, I am the son of the one who was bestowed revelation by Allah, I am the son of Muhammad al-Mustafa, I am the son of the person who fought against enemies with two swords, I am the son of Ali al-Murtada, the approved one, I am the son of Fatima al-Zahra, I am the son of Hussein, the one killed in Karbala. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point, as you mentioned, where Yazid said, you know, stop, stop the sermon, let's end it, let's yeah. do the Adhan, it's time for Salah. Yeah. And the beautiful thing is, I'm just going to re-mention what you said, you know, when the Mu'adhan was like, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, the Imam said, you know, surely God is great. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Like, I bear, there is no witness. But God, no problem. Ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. And that's that's exactly the point where he said, Muhammad Rasulullah, is he my grandfather or is he your grandfather? And that's, they say, where Yazid eventually had to, like, for example, you know, not to stop the commotion and stop the uprising that's happening in mm-hmm. people's minds, not physical uprising, where, you know, he had to like release the Islam, imam yeah. and release yeah. the, those he brought <clears throat> captive. But it's a very, very, you know, it's very difficult. difficult time for the imam. Very, very difficult. Because before even that. reaching there, some question this, but before, before the imam reaching to Sham, he buried. Yeah, yeah. 
Imam al-Hussein. He buried the companions of Imam al-Hussein. He buried the children, his own brothers, Ali al-Akbar, Ali al-Azhar. He saw so much. When the Imam, you know, the story is such where when Banu Asad, tribe in Karbala, it was said that their women were embarrassed, that the men of their tribe didn't join Imam Hussein. So after Karbala happened, after the, the battle happened, they, they told the their burial. men, mm. yeah, they said, if you're not going to fight with the Imam, at least go and bury them. Yeah. yeah go and bury yeah. the Shahada. Mm. So, okay, fine. They go out and in, in uh, narrations, it says that they had no idea where to begin. <clears throat> How do we match this head with which body? And at that point, they said, we saw a man walking in the distance wearing black. He came closer. They said, who are you? He said, Ali ibn al-Hussein. Yeah. salam. And... He says, why are you here? He goes, I'm here. Uh, the Imam said to them, why are you here? They said, oh, we just want to see what's happening. He said, no, tell me the truth. He said, we're here to bury the shuhada of Karbala. He said, let me do, let me do what I need to do. He, and he said, he goes, I'm going to give you guys three tasks. Bury three graves, one for certain members of the family, one for the companions, and one for Habib ibn Mubahar. Yeah. And then, of course, the Imam uh, buried Imam Hussein, alayhi salam. And then continues on about um, has Abbas. He goes to the Furat. He goes to the yeah. Furat. And he takes his prayer, prayer mat. mat. Yeah, and we're on the same page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, what happens? He he tries to pick up what is left of Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas. And that, that's, imagine picking mm. up Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas in your prayer mat. And it says when he picked up the left side, the right would fall down. When he picked up the right yeah. side, the left would fall down. It's a very difficult, you know, when we talk about modern day mental health, mm, okay? Mm. I know we're slightly veering off, but I okay. think it's really important, yeah? When we talk about modern day mental health, we now live in a, a system, Western, like post-colonial system, which is very reliant on mainstream healthcare and mainstream methods of resolving mental health challenges. Mm. The Imam, alayhi salam, challenged his own mental health by dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, remembrance of Allah, and at the same time he mourned. How many times we read about the Imam bursting into tears and the Imam's eyes were sore, blistered, yeah. Blistered. This is because the Imam was hurt. Like it's normal, you know? And like today, I'm not saying that modern day techniques don't work. I'm saying that remembering Allah and at the same time accepting your emotional vulnerabilities is okay. It's, it's allowed. As a man, we're talking about men. Why are we bottling things up? You're allowed to mourn your situation. You're allowed to grieve for your situation. But you have to remember that everything is, is the will of Allah and turn back to Allah. Oh, I think sadly, when it comes to Imam Zain al-Abidin salam I think we keep him at a place where he's just surrounds Karbala. Yeah. There's nothing else to it. Yani even when we, I, I, yani, I always hear from the pulpit whenever we refer to the Imam, he's always being referred to as someone who was always crying, someone who's always mourning. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. This, there was more to it, as you mentioned, the dhikr Allah. And, yeah. you, and you know, Imam Zain Ahmadi is very famously known for, for example, Maqaram al-Akhlaq. He's very famously known for Sahih al-Sajadiyah. He's very famously known for uh, the Rasalat al-Hukuk, treaties of rights, all of these things. Say, just to add on to your yeah. point, it's that Imam Zain al-Abidin, sallallahu alayhi wa was very young in Karbala. Mm. Was 23, 23, 24. And his Imama carried on 
for 34 to 35 years yeah his martyrdom was achieved at the age of 57 mm -hmm. mm. so do we ever same think same age as Imam Hussein same same age as Imam so do we ever think yeah. what did he do for 34 years exactly does anyone say what happened after Ashura well, we sort of neglect it because for 34 years I'll tell you he didn't just cry in his house mm. he didn't you know or this. He didn't just <clears throat> sorry, he didn't just sit at home remembering what happened yeah. to his father and family. Or he didn't just give us a book called Sahifa Sajadi and that's it. I've it's just he, a dua book. I heard he really revived the dying Islam as he bring. He bring it back Imam, Imam Zain Abidin was mm. given the task that now that Islam is saved, Imam Hussein saved the message. It hasn't died. You now need to revive it in the people's hearts Bro, to remind them three, what it is. The Imam had three major challenges post Karbala, okay? The first was to proclaim his imama publicly. Because if imagine in that, in Islam was in the lowest of the low, like the pits of low. You have animals who claim that they are the heads of the religion, okay? At that point for him to come out and say, no, no, I, Imam Hussein died, I'm the imam. No, the imam had to go about it in, in a smart way. The second challenge the imam had in books, it says, uh, books of history, it says that it's, it's like when you break a tasbih, and you scattered all over the floor, around. the beads. The Imam had to bring the community back together, to weld them back together like you're fixing a broken tasbih. SubhanAllah. The third thing the Imam had to do is he had to expound the knowledge of the religion far and wide, haq, to the point where people, he laid the foundation. We talk about Imam Baqar al-Ulum, mm. for example. Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq, we talked about how Imam Sadiq had 100,000 plus students. That didn't just happen overnight. Yani, 50 years Things prior, it, yeah. Karbala happened, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So what happened in that period? Imam Sajjad was the pinnacle of um, propagation, tabligh. Uh, Imam Sajjad laid the foundation. You know, they say Imam Sajjad went Hajj 20 times by foot to Mecca. Like he was back and forth. He was continuously traveling. He was continuously teaching. He was spreading. Every chance he got, he would tell people, this is what I saw in the younger years of my life. This is what we need to do in the future. And mind you, he'd done all of this whilst being surveillanced and being spied on by uh, Yazid's people. And then well, mate, his so how, how did he get away with it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, from what I know, Sahifa Sajadiya is not a book of dua. Mm. So it wasn't intended to be that. It, yeah, it wasn't intended to be. Yeah. Listen, you want du'as? Here's du'as yeah, from yeah, Sahifah. Yeah. No, Sahifah <laughs> Sajadiyya was a way that Imam Zayn Abidin would teach his students about Islam. For example, true tawassul or, or uh, true tawheed from by talking to them by saying, listen, this is a du'a, let's recite it together, let's memorize it together. And through these du'as, he would mention stuff like, like my meanings. father, my mm. father, indeed my father was killed thirsty. Indeed, my uh, Imam Ali is the successor, the Lion of Allah, stuff like that, the brother of, of Rasulullah. And f by dropping what we call like, these, like these bars, these hints, yeah. is by that, Instilling that little part in people's hearts, from there a seed then it's planted. Plant, is planted. planted from there the tree is starting to Blossom, grow. Yeah. And that is what the other Imams had to do. Mm. It wasn't just that Imam Zayn Abidin's job was listen, was teach them Islam yeah, yeah. right now, all of yeah, it. Yeah, no. Yeah. Bit by bit, then Imam Baqar comes and says, this is what my father taught you. Let's be expand. Now yeah. let's bring in philosophy, science. Let me show you what I know. Yeah. And from then Imam Jafar Salik took over and said, from what my father taught me, let me show you this. Mm -hmm. And then the Jafariya school, that university that was born, came into life. Yeah. But as Ahmed said, that didn't happen overnight. 
Yeah. It took calculations, it took planning, yeah. it took the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it took the actions of the Imams. Mm. And that lives on till today. Yeah. Now, subhanAllah, the Ad'iyah, they say we are the school of the Ahlul Bayt. Alhamdulillah, this is something we should be proud of. And the Imams, you know, they did a very good job at this. For us to reach us, like even the, the, the du'as, the supplications of Imam Zayn al-Abidin, I think it's just over 51 du'as that yeah. we have. And it covers almost like everything we ever want to pray for, mm. ever we, anything we want to supplicate about. And what I like from the works of the Imam is his treatise of rights. Yeah, I really love cool. it. Yeah, and if someone has not read this, please go, go online. PDFs are available online. Just search treatise of rights. Imam Zain al-Abidin, Imam al-Sajjad, and just read them. Yeah. And learn the rights of your mother, learn the rights of your father, the rights of your, uh, you know, your tongue, your eyes, everything. The, the, the rights of your friend, the rights of your neighbor, the rights of your teacher, the rights of everything. And again, those are just foundations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can tell that he's not, his plan isn't, let me teach them Islam right now mm. from page one to page 100. I'm just going to tell them the bits that they, for them to start. Imagine if Because those... everyone knows Salah. Yeah. It's been about 50 years now. Everyone should know Salah, yeah, but go the, to Hajj. The, the, the problem was at the time that Salah was known, but the sanctity of Salah was exactly. violated. Exactly, so that's why so that's the how sanctity, he revives the it. The sanctity of religion was violated in its exactly. core. Mm. So like, that, that's the Imam's job. At a point where, where on the day of Ashura, you have two different Jama'ahs happening. And Imam Al-Husayn is being shot with arrows. Like we keep mentioning in every single podcast we've done so far. The sanctity of Salah was violated. The sanctity of Islam at its core was violated. Even the Adhan at the core of Yazid. The Adhan at the core of Yazid. Like, you know, you, hypocrites. <sighs> Munafiqeen. Like, all of them. All mm. of them. Burn mm. in hell. And there's a reason why. It's because these guys, they, they claim that we are the owners of this religion. Bro, you are nothing. We're talking about the, the grandson of Sallallahu Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know, Yazid had the audacity to say to the, to the, to the people at his core, when, you know, when people were hearing the sermon and stuff, he was like, no. Muhammad came up with a made man-made religion, like along those lines, and he claims to be what the representative, the caliph of Rasulullah, the son of Amir al-Mu'minin, or his father, as as Muawiyah called himself, Amir al-Mu'minin. Anyway, but it's interesting talking mm. about 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 uh, Imam al-Sajjad because I know we want to move on. Um, there's a, one or two things which I think we we need to take into account. Okay. okay, there's lessons that from the Imam's life, putting not putting aside Karbala, but mm. in spite of Karbala, the Imam pushed forward and was known as the adornment of worship of Zayn al-Abideen alayhi salam because Imam Ali ibn al-Husayn was a beautiful name he was known as be- as, I love it it's yeah, a beautiful yeah, yeah. name and you know he was known Imam Bakr alayhi salam said and it's metaphorical I presume he said mm. I used to see my father do a thousand rakats of prayer in the day and a thousand in the night he said he would he was so focused that he would sway in the wind like the leaf on the side of a corn, a corn plant. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And another hadith, for example, from Abu Hamza Thumali. Okay. He says, I once saw the Imam praying, and Imam was wearing an aba, he was wearing a cloak. The cloak slipped off him, off his shoulder. After the salah, I said to him, Yeah, Imam, why didn't you put that cloak back? And he like fix it up, it must be uncomfortable or something. Mom says, woe unto you, do you not know who I'm standing in front of? So in one hadith, we're talking about the quantity of prayer. And in one hadith, we're talking about the quality of prayer. We have to say then, oh, you know, people say nowadays, I'm so busy. I run a business. I have a family. I have social commitments. I have majalis to go to. I can't focus on my salah. 
if anyone has a right to mourn over Imam Hussein, it's Imam Sajjad salam. He was, talk about Majlis, Imam, Imam Sajjad was there. He was in Karabala. Does mm. he make time for God? Yes. We talk about business. Imam Sajjad owned multiple businesses. He was a date farmer. He used to take his wealth, buy slaves, train them up, free them, and then reinvest the money back into the community. He used to use the money to go for Hajj. He used to yeah. send other people to Hajj. He used mm. to use it for propagation. He, of course, invested money into the, the betterment of the Shias of the time. And we, we have the audacity to say, no, we're busy. Busy. Bro, what are you talking about? Five minutes a day? Dhuhr, Asr, like the time, uh, like I know Muhammad Ali and Jumah Nights mentioned this, God bless him. He said that his favorite salah of the day is in uh, when, he's, when he's at work. And I kind of mm. get that. He said, because in that moment in the day, like I kind of get a break from reality. I can do my thing in my own space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kind of feel the same way as well. Like mm. you're in your zone. Do you know what I mean? But sometimes we, we don't, we, we do not respect what the Imam left behind. The pearls of wisdom, lessons to learn from. Well, I, I, I even remember something now that I heard uh, of a lecture recently, in fact. Um, so I haven't read this. I've heard this from a lecture from the pulpit. And the imam, there the came a time where, for example, there was a lot loss of slavery happening. Yeah. So the imam will actually go and purchase these slaves and make them, you know, come towards his home. Mm -hmm. And he will come and look after them. And I think it's a beautiful story I'll share. And it goes along the lines of, um, so the imam purchased, I think it was four, four servants. Yeah. And he made them come to his house. But when he was in his house, went, bro, they were not really serving the imam. It's not mm. like, I'm higher than you and you're lower than me. It wasn't, none of that was happening. You know, let's just make that clear in case people misunderstand what servants mean in the, in the house of the imam. But at the same time, they were students of his. Right. So as much as they were working in his house... No, he would teach them Islam. Yeah, yeah. And he, he, he would he would teach them supplications, how to do dua and things like that. There was, there was even a time where, you know, there was a drought and people wanted rain. The Imam didn't pray for rain himself. He instructed his servants. He, he goes, I told you how to do supplication and dua yeah. for rain. And they went out and they prayed for rain and it started raining. Yeah. And people start, you know, what's going on? And then there was other servants who now wanted to be where? In this house. They've heard so much about Imam Zain al-Abideen. That every servant at that time wanted to be in the house of Imam Sajjad. So Imam Sajjad, you know, was in the marketplace and he came across another servant. He bought this man. Mm. He paid for him. He freed the slave. He bring him to his house. Now he's a servant at the Imam's house. And, um, you know, the Imam calls out this, uh, the name of his servant. So I forgot the name of the servant. And then there's no response. The Imam calls out the name of the servant for the second time. For the second time, again, there's no response. The Imam calls out for the third time. He says the servant's name, you know, come here, O servant of Allah. The guy doesn't respond. The fourth time, the servant came rushing to the Imam. The Imam goes, what's going on? You know, I called you four times now, and it's on the fourth time you've shown up. What's happening? He goes, oh, Imam, you know, I was just testing your mercy. They said, there's no one as merciful as you. Wow. Because in my old, in the old house where I was, if I was not to come the first time, as soon as the, my, my, my master called me, I would have been, you know, tortured, yeah. reprimanded, you know, kicked out, all wow. of this. But I was just testing the sweetness of your mercy. Yeah, that even after four times, you've got no issue with me. Yeah. yeah subhanAllah, you know, the way he treated people. 
is just beyond, you know, beyond belief. Well, he had an, an immense taqwa. Mm. Mm. You know, Imam Hussein al-Islam compares him to Imam so his son to Nabi Ibrahim al-Islam. Yes. You know this story? Yes, yes, yes. And when he was young and the Imam was unwell and he said, I rely on Allah. And the Imam, Imam Hussein said, you remind me of Nabi Ibrahim because when the the fire was was when he nobody when was, in the, was in the fire. He said, yeah. "I rely on Allah." Yes, yes, yes. And we think about the taqwa of the Imam in different stages. From a young age, you know, the Imam was raised as an orphan. You know, his mother died when when he was a few days old, mm. and um, Sharban was uh, as we know. And until the last days of the Imam, she was Iranian, by the way. She was, Iranian. She was Persian. She was the first, um, I think, non-Arab to marry. An yes. imam, by the way. Yeah, yeah, so his yeah. mother was the first non-Arab to marry Imam Al-Hussein, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. So, you know, there's a lot to take forward. And of course, mm. when we talk about, you know, the knowledge of the imam is so important. The Quran says in Surah Al-Fatir, if I'm not mistaken, verse 28, that the most fearful of Allah's servants are the ones who are most learned. So then acquiring knowledge is very important. Acquiring knowledge of the Ahlul Bayt Al-Islam, we do that. Muharram, you know, we go majalis. Like for like, we talk about all the time Hadith Thaqalain, the Holy Prophet said, I leave behind the Quran and the Ahlul Bayt, hold yeah. them onto them, do not go astray. Okay, so we talk about the Ahlul Bayt, but we also need to talk about the Holy Quran. Because I guarantee you that the Ahlul Bayt live their lives day to day mm. by the Quran. You know, and in this day and age now, Sayyid, we're seeing violation of the Quran. You know, in the news, of course, we knew a few weeks ago about the the burning of the Holy Quran in Sweden. Um, you sent me a video today which really messed with my head about people, a, a lady who was shredding, shredding the shredding Quran. pieces of the oh Quran, God, pages God. of the Quran into small pieces. This was in Denmark. Like, and she was proper, wearing woman life freedom, shredding the Quran. Completely Pathetic. ruined my day. Allah, Allah. It was really, really messed up. Like, um, where do we, like, because there are going to be people at home who are like, you know, what do we firstly people are gonna say why should we care? It's not happening here in the UK or wherever you're listening from. Secondly, what do we do? Like people are gonna be so what or what can we do? There's nothing we can do. People are gonna be like that every all the time. You know, I, I'm not I'm not saying Muslims are to blame for this, by the way. But I think if the majority of Muslims are not holding onto the Thaqalain, it's gonna to lead to things like this. Because if Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is saying, you know, hold on to the Quran and my Ahlul Bayt. And if you were to hold on to both of them, you will never go astray. Why would someone like Salwan, who, you know, very famously in Sweden, you know, sent shockwaves around the Muslim Ummah, yeah, yeah. the entire world has been, you know, traumatized, I can say, by the scenes they saw when he burned the Quran. Why would they reach such, such a stage? Because if we be honest, the Salwan guy apparently was a Muslim. Yeah, Iraqi. Ex-Muslim Iraqi, you know, as, yeah. as, as crazy as you, it but sounds. You don't claim him. No, no way. No, yeah. he can be anyway, he can be Karbala. He burned the Quran, go to hell. Yeah. Yani, there's no way we claim anyone like that yeah. to be from 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 the ummah of muhammad wali muhammad but ultimately i think it's our fault as muslims because if we want to say you know we believe in the thaqalain and we want to hold on to the thaqalain we are not abiding by the thaqalain we are abiding only possibly by the ahlul bayt <coughs> or possibly only by the quran and yeah. this this goes to every sect in islam by the way they choose even the quran or for example the shia she's only the ahlul bayt yeah yes we need to hold on to both and, and the most important thing here is that we have to pass on the meaning of Quran to our children. Mm. And this is so important, Wallah al You know, kids, if you don't teach them, you know, the love of Quran, 
And if you don't teach them, you know, the respect the Quran deserves from a very young age, bro, they can go up and become the new Salma, Salwan, whatever this guy's name is. Is it Salwan? Someone, Salwan, someone, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's Salwan. We can all be Salwan, Salwan one day. Because if we don't teach our, our, our children, our kids, you know, what it means to love and respect and revere and honor the Quran the way it's supposed to be, we can all become Salwan. The new Salwan. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And it's very important that we don't become Salwan maybe in the next 10 years or 15 years because it can happen to our it's children. Really nice. Because we live here it's in very the dangerous, West. Yeah. And I say this why? Because if we live here in the West and we don't give Quran the respect it deserves and the respect it requires of us as Muslims, bro, we're going to go in a completely different direction. Because we have the West who is what? Attacking anything with Islamic value. Mm. We have the West who supports and stands behind anyone. Who goes against Islam? And for example, this whole Salwan thing in Sweden, who gave him permission to burn the Quran? Yeah. The Swedish courts. Yeah, and if God forbid, uh, if you, if you, sorry, bro, the, the, they, they are freedom of expression. Bro, what about freedom of religious belief? If I want to believe in the Quran, if I want to believe in Islam, mm. does that mean that I have uh, no right for protection if someone violates my belief in religion? Do you know what I'm saying? The problem is not just that. The problem is the double standards that the West yes, has. Yes, because yes, yes. If you burn any other flag or any other book... Believe book, me, I read... Game over. You know, you know, you know, was this like the first time permission for Quran burning was given in Sweden? Apparently it wasn't, by the way. Really? It just wasn't as big because this one did it in front of a mosque and there was press and people were already aware of it and there was like one week's notice and because it involved the courts and the courts gave him police protection, hence why it became no so big. Otherwise, there's been here and there. But there's other people, for example, applying to burn the Torah. Other people apply, uh, uh, you know, applying Why? to the courts to burn, for example, the rainbow flags and stuff like that. Bro, they disagree. At the end of the day, religious texts, especially Abrahamic monotheistic religious texts, mm -hmm. are sacred to people. Yep, yep, yep. Why, yep, yep. why, why insult people? Let me say something. You say, yeah. Well, if someone right now burns the Bible, does not does that not hurt us as of Muslims? Of course, we may reject and we yeah. may say it's been tampered with and interfered, but you 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 hurt because you know that ultimately. There may be some words in there which is the word of Allah. And beyond that as mm. well, these are people, they're, they're Ahl Kitab. You know what I mean? So people who are believers, believers in the one true Lord, and that Lord being Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you have to defend them. They're brothers in humanity, mm. equals in humanity. You know, at the end of the day, yeah, when we talk about the burning of the Quran, the violation of the Quran, there's been times in the past, even in early Islamic history where the Quran was violated. When? Safin. There are people who put Qur'ans on the spears. Put the army the of Muawiyah. Mm. When they put Qur'ans on a spear, you had Haq versus Batal. Yep, yep, yep. Halal versus Haram. Today, when we see people burning the Qur'an, we are reliving what Imam Ali, السلام, when he fought against the army of Muawiyah, what he had to go through. Mm. Or what are we going to do? Are we going to hold on to the Qur'an? Or are we going to metaphorically join the army of Muawiyah in that sense, and not say anything because there were those in the army of Muawiyah who weren't holding spears but who weren't condemning. Yep. How yep. many yep. Shia organizations are doing a lot about this? How many people are posting about this on their personal pages even? There's a jihad and nafs we have to do in this situation and that is to be the bigger man and to say something, whether it's signing a, a, a petition, whether it's writing to a member of parliament, whether it's even in a conversation with your work colleagues. I had a conversation with a, with a colleague of mine at work. Mm. We were talking about this. And I told him, I said, this is why I think it's wrong. Yeah. This is why I think it's, it's, it's divisive for society. You know, but if, if we don't have these conversations, even on a very small grassroots level, the community, the Muslim community will not know how to respond 
when when more grave things happen when this happens at our doorsteps we won't know how to respond you know you just mentioned you know the army of Muawiyah upon the quran on spears and my head you know and speaking of burning of the quran my brain just went pass forward Ashura by yeah. I think two three years where uh, Yazid burned the Kaaba yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> bro it's crazy Islamic history yeah, is crazy I, I yeah, know my mind just went completely somewhere else but, no, you're right, yeah. but, 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 but honestly like if, if if we don't you know stand up for the Quran and if we don't resp- and I think I think we do stand up for the Quran but the thing is we're not doing enough no say the thing is we do it we do sorry bro go on. we do with our tongues yeah well we're not doing we're something not doing enough with our, with our hearts and with our hands do you know what I'm saying there's a hadith of the prophet uh-huh. about about I, I don't wanna, I don't want to think but it's like if you can't if you can't verbally uh, um, state something do it with your hands yep do you know what I'm saying and I know there's a full hadith and I don't want to quote it but it's something I recognize that say something if you can't say something do something do you know what I mean like it, we have to do something like there's you know it starts from like you said it comes from fundamental what are you doing at home love for the quran do you know what i really love about the ashura procession here in london this year is that i don't know if um you know people are listening from london attended or for those that don't know this year um the london ashura procession i think like made it uh i can call it an obligation where they ensured they gave a a, a copy of the quran of its cover to everyone who attended the ashura procession and people were either wearing it Around the necks are holding it as they walk. And wallah, it just like made you feel Beautiful. like, you know, we are the party of God. You know, we are with Allah. Ultimately, we, we are with the Quran, the Ahlul Bayt and the Quran, ultimately. Yeah, yeah. And it reminded and it's very beautiful because people, number one, saw people holding up the Quran, the book of God, and that we stand against the burning of the Quran. Yeah. But it also it took me a few years back. I saw, I saw when a lady. ISIS came. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, I know you want to say a point yeah, yeah, yeah. where we made a point here in London. On the day of Ashura, on his possession, that Imam Hussein stands against the yeah. likes of ISIS. You were there, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah same. And was, I saw so much beauty in it that. Was, it was because even Western, Western media were like, huh? There's actual Muslims standing against ISIS? It was a shock to them. It was a shock because they had a lot of people that had ladies wearing black cloaks and yeah, men yeah, wearing yeah, 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 black yeah, yeah. dishdashas mm. and all of that, beards and all of that. And we came out and we said, no, we're anti-ISIS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a shock to Western media. You know, I saw a tweet on on um, online. I'm not going to say X because I stick with Twitter, but um, I saw a tweet from some some lady, non-Muslim, who posted a picture of the Holy Quran with English translation. Very recently, it might have okay. been in the procession or somewhere else, mm-hmm. and she just said, "I got handed this today. I'm going to give it a go." Just tweeted that, bro. Thousands and thousands of people um, replied supporting her, saying, "Good luck, sister. Good luck on your journey. May Allah reward you. May Allah bless you, guide you." You know, that is beautiful to see firstly because people encourage that journey. Mm. And then I, I followed her uh, journey on, on thing because she started tweeting day by day by day what she's picking up, what she likes, what she's learning. I think this is someone who last week didn't know about the Quran. Now she's reading through it. How many of us can say we've done that? Yeah. How many of us can say we've picked up the copy of the, the translation of the Holy Quran in English? We flicked through it. And we've obviously with the Quran, you have to give it sacredness. Of course, you have to read it in the right environment. You have to do wudu. You have to respect what you're Can't holding. Be in a state of impurity. But, yeah, exactly, yeah. but you have to be conscious that you are reading the word of Allah, the stories, the lessons, the ahkam, that everything you're reading, these are, are holy and, and very important texts. And we shouldn't let go of it. Basically. Well, you know the Quran they say is the most read book. 
the yeah. most memorized book, the most printed book, the most respected well, book, the most revered book. And it's a book that doesn't contradict itself. Yes. And it's a book once. where people can't say it's not the divine words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think the beauty in this is that even nowadays where the West is against Islam or Quran or whatever the Quran teaches, is that now, you know, people are proving that Quran does not contradict science in yeah, so yeah, yeah. much ways. Even for, we have the examples of, for example, the universe expanding. Who would have known Rasulullah Muhammad 1,400 years ago is going to say the universe is expanding. Only science knew about this recently. Or for example, the example of, of the two seas mixing. Yeah. Who would have yes, known this? Yes, Who yes. went sailing 1,400 years ago yeah, somewhere true, in the ocean? True. Who would have known this? That's why they used to say, for example, at his time, Muhammad was the magician. But now we've reached a point where we can't blame magic. Bro, this is reality. This is the divine words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the truth is with the Quran, bro. You open mm, the Quran, sorry. there is nothing that contradicts anything that says. And, the, and, 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 and the, you know, the West, I, I, I don't know if you've heard the term Sharia law before. Yes. <laughs> I, you, you, know, you know, whenever I hear of Sharia law, I always remember like Fox News or Donald Trump or like, especially American TV. Yeah, yeah. Like they, they have something BMP. against the Sharia law. And then even Muslims are scared of Sharia law, by the way, because they think Sharia law means... Oh my God, I need Capital to like wear abaya or my hands are going to get chopped off yeah. or things like that. But reality is, bro, Sharia law is just halal and haram of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. And you know, if, if and the we're West... meant to be living by Sharia law day to day, praying five times a yeah, day, yeah. not eating haram, not drinking alcohol. But that you know is the why? law of the Sharia. Do you know why the, way, the, the West makes <laughs> you fear Sharia law? Yeah. Ultimately, it's because, for example, if we take our Sharia from the Quran, the Quran tells you, Baba, don't gamble. The Quran tells you don't get intoxicated. Yeah. The Quran tells you, for example, you know, uh, you know, don't do something that's not lawful for you. Yeah. You know, don't go towards haram. You know, lower yeah. your gate. Everything that's good Look for society. Look after yourself and your soul. Everything that makes you a good human being and makes a society, you know, wholesome with meaning, they're against. Mm -hmm. And Subhanallah, you know, the values of the Quran is oppression, and the values of godless society are freedom. Yeah. It's crazy, it's crazy, Walt. And Doesn't I think it requires sense. a discussion on this. A yeah, well, separate discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yasser, anything to add before we wrap up? Um, no, I think you've guys said it all. It's just that um, every Muharram comes mm. and uh, every Muharram goes. And it seems like all we remember is that this and this and this happened. But we put away the importance of why it happened. So if we remember Imam Hussein's sacrifice, we mm. also need to remember why Imam Hussein sacrificed everything he had and what we're doing to make it, to, you know, to revive it, to let everyone know of this sacrifice. Yeah. So if Imam Hussein sacrificed himself for the, for the betterment of Islam, and then Imam Zain al-Abidin for 34 years of his life made sure that it stayed there, and all the Imams did the same, then we now need to come in and learn what they taught. So that we can also be part of that of that mission that we're telling everyone this is the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why we're here on this earth to do this and this and this. So that people like who want to burn the Quran, one day might understand that why am I burning the Quran, for example? Even if they don't believe in it, why do I need to burn it to prove a point? Uh, that to show that oh God doesn't exist, I can burn it. No. 
that if they understand that this is why the Quran is here, it's, it's making children, for example, know the right and wrong behavior, or it's making adults do the right and wrong things and know the difference between right and wrong. Yeah. Maybe then they'll understand the significance of this book. That's not just a holy text, but it's a text that teaches. Yeah. Oh, and that text and that holy scripture, you know, the Quran is so important and so central to every Muslim in the world. You know, it doesn't matter what sect you adhere to. You know, it doesn't matter what level of Iman you have. You know, it doesn't matter, let's say, for example, um, you know, whether you read it every other Friday or you read it only in a Fatha or you read it maybe when, when a loved one has passed away. Bro, every Muslim takes the Quran as a form of guidance and inshallah as a form of inspiration. Amen. And, yeah. you know, no matter how much people, they want to burn these Qur'ans, you know, Salwan, you can burn 50 of them. I know he's done it twice. You can burn 50 of them. At the end of the day, no one can erase the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because in Muslims, we emphasize on this memorizing thing. Yeah. You know, we ensure, it's not, sorry, it's, we ensure yeah, the, the that the Qur'an is memorized generation after generation. That if you can burn all the copies, you know, you can discard yeah, yeah, them, you can dispose of them. Same, you can... I don't think their, their goal is to eliminate the Qur'an off the face of the earth. I think it's for them, it's a stand of democracy and, and anti-oppression and freedom and anti... anti uh, well, they haven't read the Qur'an. Anti-establishmentarianism that Islam brings down on... on society today so yeah, they're yeah. saying that the quran the establishment of islam is oppressive to western civilization 1400 years later so they're saying this is a symbol a stand against religion specifically mm. islam and mm. specifically the words of the quran what they fail to understand is that read the quran take it in put your ego aside think about what allah is saying think about the messages in the quran the values don't think about kill the believers wherever you see them bro Research. Do not take that look out of context. Look at history. Yeah, 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 yeah. Research. Look at context mm. of the ayah. Mm. Look at different uh, stories of the Holy Prophet. And how each ayah and how each surah relates to the, the stories at the time and how they're still relevant today. Do you know what I'm saying? Anyway, inshallah khair. I mean, it's been it's been a, a like a crazy few weeks in, in the media and in the news. Has, but it's has. really important, inshallah. Everyone at home, we we learn from. From uh, the lessons, you know, there's there's so many lessons that we can apply from the time of the Ahlul Bayt al Islam at times like this. We talked about the the parallels between Safin and what we see today. What side are we going to stand on? Where who's who are we going to partner with? You know, when it comes to get uh, Haq versus Batil. Inshallah khair. Been a good discussion. We've literally gone full circle. Alhamdulillah, Ahlul Bayt and Quran. It has, and I and I know there's so much we never uh, touched on when it yeah. came to Imam Zain al Abidin because he's an endless sea of you know lessons we can learn from. So I think one thing yeah. about this Quran is that honestly, I know we said it so much times and probably we've said on previous podcasts, bro, taqalain, Quran and Ahl al-Bayt. Do not, do not let go of them. Do not, you know, make it one seem higher or less important than, than, than the other. At the end yeah. of the day, the Quran is more than just a book. It's a book that, you know, we can feel healing from. It's a book that when we read or recite or listen to the Quran, we can feel for some peace of mind. Yeah. And it also offers us some form of protection. So inshallah, we hold on to this inshallah. so that we will never ever be led astray. Ahsant, ahsant. Yeah, so thank you for joining us as always. Said Ali. Always a pleasure to see you. Thank you, you so yeah, much guys Allah, for having Allah, me. Allah, Allah, Allah. My heart, my heart. When it sees you and hears your voice. Alhamdulillah. inshallah, we need you here on another podcast. And if anyone's not seen <laughs> Yasser's podcast the last week before Muharram, uh, Yasser joined Said Ali and I on, literally you can see his beautiful 56, face. 55, we talked about... Episode 53? Something like that.
I think it was episode 53. Do tune in. Anger and ego. We talked about that that topic. Really, really important one. If Mm. you haven't heard it, make sure you listen to it. It's a timeless discussion. Uh, Sir Ali, thank you as always. Thank you. We will be back next week. Inshallah, hit the subscribe button. Smash it. Smash it. And thank you everyone for your support in recent weeks. Obviously, I know it's been crazy. We've been putting out a lot. So I just wanted to thank everyone at home. And we'll be back next week. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. And we will see you then. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wassalamu alaikum. Thank you.